Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our longtime friend and member, Scotty Miser. Does anyone else like get kind of skittish, nervous, or just confused when we start talking about the Holy Spirit? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Anyone else? No. Yeah. No? All right. No Holy Spirit anxiety over here. I didn't realize what an ill-defined concept of the Holy Spirit I had until point blank a child asked me. Uh, Gary, if you move to the first slide here. Yeah. I was leading Sunday school, and it was two weeks in a row, and the first week was easy because I was talking about John the Baptist. And kids love John the Baptist. It's like, oh, you know what? There was this weird hairy man who lived in the wilderness. Isn't that goofy? Wow, yeah, cool. And then the week after that was the baptism of Jesus. And I tell the story. Jesus is baptized by his cousin John. The Holy Spirit comes down. And the voice of God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And everyone is taking my word for it. Except for Augie, who asked, what's the Holy Spirit? (laughs) And I panicked. And I said, well, Augie, uh, the Holy Spirit is kind of like the voice inside you that tells you right from wrong. Except here, it's a dove. (laughs) that's about where I left things (laughs) and I didn't ask any more questions but I was kicking myself afterwards because it's like I think I just described what a conscience is I don't think I'd actually described the Holy Spirit I know what the Holy Spirit is more than that I know what the Holy Spirit isn't but I actually don't know what the Spirit is And in some sense, I am kind of asking too much. Augie is asking a very large question, literally asking for a definition of God. But if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, that should be worth at least a word study, right? We should at least get a little bit more familiar with the term and how it's used. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to dive into some of the earliest mentions of the Holy Spirit and how those stories color this story, color the baptism of Jesus, and how this truth can really change our lives if we let it take root. But if you take nothing else today, if you hate word studies and just want to tune everything out from this point on, take this. God's spirit breathes potential into reality. God's spirit breathes in you, through you, around you, and God's spirit is not just one of salvation, but of creation. And God's spirit is breathing your potential into reality. So where does this idea of the Holy Spirit even come from? 
Like, Matthew doesn't bother defining it, so <laughs> maybe we should look at where the word comes from. Uh, the word used in Hebrew, and I know we've gone over this, so this will be a little bit of review, but I think there will be some new stuff as well. The word in Hebrew is ruach. Gary, if you want to pull up that next slide. Now, here's some things about the word ruach. It's not a New Testament idea. This word starts in the Old Testament, and it appears 538 times in the Old Testament. If you're keeping track at home, that is more than the word Sabbath. That is more than the word Shalom. That is more than the word Torah. This word, Ruach. I want you guys to say it with me. Ruach. 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 You got to clear your throat a little bit at the end. Okay. Now, I want you to say it with me one more time, but we're going to breathe in together. And on the ach, we're just going to keep clearing our throat till we run out of air. Okay? So. Ruach. This word appears over and over again in the Old Testament. This word is gendered in the female. So I will be using female pronouns for the rest of the sermon when I talk about the spirit. If you like, if that upsets you, you can come to me at the end and say, God doesn't have gender. And you're right. I will agree with you. God does not have gender. God is above and beyond gender. And also, we have God the Father and God the Son. And we use male pronouns for them pretty consistently. So, I don't know. If it upsets you, you get two out of three. Like, <laughs> it's okay. Calm down. Um, <laughs> now, one reason this word, ruach, is so prolific in the Old Testament is it's kind of pulling quadruple duty. Gary, if you pull up that next slide. So ruach can have up to and including four meanings. It can mean spirit with a capital S, God's invisible spirit. It can also mean the invisible energy of the human spirit. There's God's ruach, and there is the Ruach we all have in us. It can also mean the invisible energy of our breath as we breathe in, as you felt that word Ruach come in and out of you. That energy is also Ruach. And it can also refer to the invisible energy of just the wind, just the plain old wind. And whenever English translators see this word in the Old Testament, they kind of have to choose. They see the word ruach, and they're like, okay, are we dealing with spirit, spirit, breath, or wind? But the way Hebrew translation works is actually a little different. Because while we have to make those choices in English, Hebrew doesn't really work that way. With Hebrew, even though there might be a primary meaning in a certain context... All of the meanings are meant to be held in the back of your mind whenever you see the word. So it's a little bit less like this and a little bit more like this. 
That's the definition of ruach. Everything, everywhere, all at once. So, how is it used? Let's see how it's used, because people have to choose, they have to make these choices. So let's look at a couple examples in the Old Testament. Joseph has ruach. It said, we will never find a better man than Joseph, a man who has God's ruach in him. And we learn that that ruach enables Joseph to interpret dreams. He has these incredible powers of perception and interpretation. So that seems clearly to be God's spirit, right? Now, in Numbers 11, we have a ruach resting on the Israelites in the camp, and they prophesy. But it's always cloudy as to whether that ruach is God's ruach, or Moses' ruach, or some other invisible energy entirely. And, okay, so we got dream interpretation, we got prophecy, that's like the wham, whiz, pow of the Holy Spirit, right? It's like, yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit does. But then, in Exodus, when we talked about the artisans of the tabernacle, do you remember this from last week? Those artisans created with ruach. The verses say, see, I have chosen Bezalel, and I have filled him with the ruach of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stone, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Okay. Prophecy, dream interpretation, arts and crafts. Now, here's where it gets a little even fuzzier. Now, a ruach went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. If you remember this story when the Israelites are, are not satisfied with manna, they want God to bring the meat. And so God brings them in, the meat with a wind from the sea. But this is the ruach of the Lord. So is it God's invisible energy? Is it just the wind? Is it God's breath? It's ruach. The, probably the, the one that sits on the most definitions at once is when the, the, the Red Sea splits, right? And then it collapses over the Egyptians, keeping the Israelites safe from their enemies. What blasted that sea apart? We're told that it's the ruach of God's nostrils. It's the breath of God's nostrils. It's the wind that holds the sea. It's the spirit of God holding the sea. It's all three. It's ruach, ruach, ruach. So the definitions get fuzzy. The work of the Holy Spirit, according to these passages, could either be dream interpretation, prophecy, arts and crafts, dead quail, or dead Egyptians. What do all these definitions have in common? They all have in common the idea of an invisible energy that brings potential to reality. The Holy Spirit, these passages would tell us, is powerful, she is invisible, she eludes definition, 
but she is breathing potential into reality. God's Holy Spirit is breathing your best potential into reality. Amen? Amen. All right, I feel like I've been saying ruach a lot, so I want you guys to say it with me one more time. Let's breathe in. So we've looked at all these different definitions of Ruach, all these different placements of it. Where is it used first? It's actually the 17th word in the Holy Scriptures. It's the 17th word in Genesis, and I think it's where we see maybe the rawest form of Ruach. I swear, this is a sermon about Jesus' baptism. If, those, if there's some of you wondering, when are we going to get to that? We will get to that, I promise. We see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the ruach of God was hovering over the waters. We're told from the start that the earth was here, but what was it? It was formless. It was void. It was like nothingness chopped into a blender. Gary, what's the Hebrew phrase? Tovu vavohu. Tovu vavohu. Formless and void. It's chaos. It's the chaos of the sea. It's churning with potential. It's turning with potential, but there's no form yet, right? There's no structure. There's no way to actualize the earth yet. In fact, it feels funny actually calling this early form the earth. Like, tohu vohu is really only the earth in the same way that the periodic table is an apartment. Like, technically, all the ingredients are there. All the ingredients are there for an apartment, but it's going to take a lot of work and a divine imagination before these atoms are someplace I want to live. This is potential. This is the womb. This could become anything, but now it's just nothing. And the spirit is there. She is, she is hovering over the waters, waiting, waiting. And the waters begin to bubble, and a chain reaction begins as the Spirit of God does not merely hover, the Spirit of God descends. She takes what is formless and empty, and she forms it, and she fills it. She separates the earth from space and fills space with the sun and the moon and the stars, and she pulls the earth's atmosphere out of the sea, and she fills the sky with clouds and birds and rain, and she pulls the land and the sea apart, and she fills them with fish. She fills them with animals, with every blooming plant, and just before she runs out of breath, God 
God's holy breath enters the nostrils of man, the nostrils of humanity. The silent chaos becomes a buzz with the noise of life blooming under the sun, feeding on the soil, everything in its place. It goes from this, this chaos, this nothingness, to this. God's Holy Spirit activates the potential. And with all that, she takes a step back. She looks on creation and says, that's what I'm talking about. That's good. That's really good. Time to rest. When you, the next time you just see nature abloom in Bristol, the next time you look at that sycamore out in the back, the next time you look at the rivers, I want you to think of this. I want you to think and praise God for the fact that we have something rather than nothing, that we have beauty rather than chaos. Because God's spirit, as we see in Genesis 1, the Ruach breathes potential into reality, amen? It breeds potential into reality. And that would be just a really neat story. But the good news is that the spirit is not done breathing. The spirit continues to breathe, to inhale, to exhale, to inhale, to exhale. In quiet, gentle whispers and in mighty tornadoes, the spirit begins to breathe. And if we look at the baptism of Jesus, I promise I'd get back there. If we look at the baptism of Jesus, we see the spirit. And we see the spirit is not doing anything new. She's actually up to her old tricks. Once again, the spirit is hovering over the waters. Go back one. Yeah. Once again, God's spirit hovers over the waters. The tohu vohu of the chaotic pre-creation sea or just the river Jordan. Whether like the breath, the atmosphere of God or a gentle dove, the spirit is hovering over the waters. Once again, this holy breath descends upon mankind. If we go to the next slide. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the ruach of life. And Jesus saw the ruach of God alighting on him. The same breath. Do you guys see that little white line going from mouth to mouth? The same breath. That's the Ruach. There it is. (laughs) I think that illustration is actually Jesus breathing the Ruach into Adam. Yeah, when I looked for creation icons, you know, drawing God the Father is actually a pretty big no-no in iconography. So what we have is Jesus, and we have the Ruach. That's two persons of the Trinity right there. 
So once again, the holy breath hovers over the waters. It descends upon mankind. And once again, what is good is named good. Go to this next slide. God saw everything, everything he had made. And it was very good. And in that same way, as the spirit alights, God says, this is my son, and with him I am well pleased. He is good. It's good. Do we believe that the spirit is still moving today? Do we believe the spirit is still breathing, calling order out of chaos, and naming what is good. As I was thinking about what this means, because it would make sense if, I, if, I, if, if we didn't feel at least a little, just a little prickly about this, because it's like, what, what are we saying? Where is the Holy Spirit? Where isn't the Holy Spirit? Like we want clear cut definitions. And there are times in scripture where it seems that the Holy Spirit comes in a very particular and punctuated way, filling. There's a Holy Spirit scholar, uh, Jack Levison, who I'm borrowing from here. And he talks about how the filling language, the receiving language, does not necessarily mean filling what was empty. Sometimes it can mean frothing up what was already there. And I, I believe we've seen that. I believe we've seen people who have potential and we weep for its waste. And then one day, the chaos tumbles around, the breath moves in just such a way that all the crazy parts click. And that person says, oh, this is why I'm here. This is why I exist. It's a silly example, but I, you know me, I'll talk about stories until I'm blue in the face. I don't care who's listening. I love books, I love stories. And as I was speaking with other English teachers, for the first time, as I, as I start to begin my, my first full-time education job, I dared to speak aloud a thought I had about Macbeth, thinking it would just be a silly thing that my friends would listen to, as you do, you're good friends, <laughs> but not really do anything with. But they looked at me and they said, no, that's good. We can use that. That's good, we can use that. I think that's what God's spirit is saying at creation. She sees the chaos, and rather than say, that's a mess, get it out, she says, that's good, I can use that. The spirit is moving today, she's breathing today, and there's potential in this room to become something beautiful. There is potential in this town 
and the people in it. It's churning, it's waiting. There's potential. And sometimes, friends, sometimes we have to be broken into chaos before we can get there. But the Spirit is activating. The Spirit is breathing and activating potential each and every day. Every time the light comes on in someone's eyes. Every time someone says, yeah, that makes sense. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. What does that mean for us this week? What does that mean right now? Well, it takes what seems like an incredible story and it moves it into the everyday. It means that every time we breathe, we can recognize it as proof that God is here. God's spirit is breath. And when we breathe, it is proof that there is potential for God's spirit is moving. It means that we can see the messy potential of our children. And we can listen to the babblings and hear not just noise, but the beginnings of words. We can see every time a kid grows up, we can see the creation story happening again and again and again. And we can take joy to be a part of that ruach, that forming and filling. It means that we don't have to save the world by ourselves. We just need to follow the wind. Where is God's ruach already blowing? Find where the spirit is moving and get there. And it means that waiting and resting, hovering over the waters is a holy act. I was trying to think, like, what, is, what does this mean for me? What chaos, what place do I need hope in, hope for potential? Um, like probably a lot of you, uh, I've been looking at footage uh, of, the, of the insurrection on, on January 6th. And I haven't watched much because it's deeply, deeply distressing. And what's most distressing of all is that these groups are bringing out chaos and nationalism and hate and disorder. And all the while they're calling on the name of Jesus. All the while they're calling on the name of the Savior, the one who loved the outcast and the marginalized, and they're doing the anti-creation work while calling on the name of the Creator. It hurts me to watch because it feels worse than chaos. It feels worse than Tohu Vavohu. It feels like evil organized. It feels like evil that has taken form. And I don't know what it means, I don't know how the Spirit will choose to breathe into that. Will the Spirit cast down the powerful as with the Egyptians? Will the Spirit heal 
Will the spirit bring order and beauty out of chaos? I don't know. Here's what I know. Is that for now, it is a holy act while we do and act and speak. It is a holy act to breathe. It is a holy act to breathe and to make space for those who feel they can't. The spirit is breathing. Gary, would you pull up that slide of the, um, yeah, the creation? I want you to look at that. Rest your eyes on the beauty of life and imagine seeing the potential for that everywhere you go. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.